Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Haunted Visions podcast. We are dedicated to stories of the paranormal, spine-chilling history, and adventures into the darkness of the unknown. So grab a flashlight, lock your doors, curl up under your blankets, and prepare to be scared. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Haunted Visions. My name's Brandy, and with me, as always, in the lovely, lovely Lebanon Studios is Rachel. Is that what we're calling it now? The Lebanon Studios? <laughs> That's where we are. <laughs> oh, my God, you guys, we're huddled right now together. Brandy's a little uncomfortable. We're a little close right now. I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, how's it going, Brandy, besides it's, that? It's all, it's all right. We're a little close, but it's all good in the hood, so... <laughs> Um, but today, um, I wanted to talk. We wanted to talk about uh, some uh, some seers, I suppose, is what they were called back in the day. Uh, we're going to talk about Nostradamus a little bit, and then we're going to talk about this poor guy um, in the Sea Fourth's Doom. But right now, Rachel, can you tell me a little bit about uh, the man that everyone knows? The man of the hour, Nostradamus. That's what we're going to focus on. So. Gypsies, fortune tellers, mystics, and clairvoyants all deserve their own special place in this podcast of ours. Each have their share of charlatans that bring doubt and shame to the people that may actually have gifts. Today's topic can actually fit into several of those categories. Prophets have been around since the beginning of time. They've had many names over the years, including the ones listed. Uh, we're about we're not talking about Jim Jones or David Koresh kind of prophets, but people who actually were able either by force of will or by accident, to predict upcoming events. Prophet is defined by Webster as to move or guide by divine influence. While it's true that many of the people we'll be talking about today were deeply religious individuals, some were not. Let's start with the most famous prophet in modern history, Nostradamus. Michael de Nostradame was born at St. Remy in the south of France in 1503. He attended the University of Mount... Pierre? We're going to go with Pierre, uh, where he studied both medicine and astrology. It was common to study both at the time. He graduated in 1522 and then began calling himself Nostradamus, a Latin version of his name, Nostradame. This was also a common practice of university graduates. They would get all fancy with their Latin and stuff. (laughs) 
Uh, so he first became famous for his medical work with the victims of the plague that broke out at A in Provence and Lyons between 1546 and 1547. The first several years of Nostradamus's career as a doctor were spent traveling in France. Many towns and villages were being destroyed by the bubonic plague, which is that huge, terrible, widespread destructive disease that was just god-awful. Um, and it was called uh, Le Carbon, and um, that stood for coal or carbon because of the black sores it left on the victims' bodies. The epidemic, um, which is a disease that affects a large number of people or regions, had no cure. Doctors commonly bled, which is basically they're letting their patients bleed out because they thought that it would take the disease with it. Um, they knew nothing of how to prevent further infection or how unclean conditions help spread the disease. Nostradamus prescribed fresh air and water for the afflicted. He also recommended a low-fat diet and clean bedding. He offered and um, administered herbal remedies made from rose hips, which later were discovered to be rich with vitamin C. Entire towns recovered under his care. Nostradamus's herbal remedies were common to the era, and his beliefs about infection um, control, however, were contrary to the practices of the time. Such beliefs could have resulted in changes of heresy or charges of heresy, which basically means opinions that were against church teachings and a sentence of death. So this poor guy is just trying to help everybody. And, you know, just because even though what he's doing is helping people, he could be charged with heresy. Word of Nostradamus's healing powers made their way um, throughout villages and made him a celebrated figure. He wrote a book listing doctors and pharmacists he had met in Southern Europe, translated anatomical texts, developed recipes for gourmet foods, and received his doctorate in 1529 from the University of Montpierre. He also taught at the university for three years, but left when his radical ideas about disease were criticized. He married, had two children, but they all became victims of the plague that Nostradamus was trying so desperately to eradicate. With their deaths, his reputation became tarnished, and he eventually decided to get out of Dodge. So he began a European tour and would effectively stop the spread of the plague in villages and move on. He eventually ended up in Solon, France, where he, um, he set up, he was a devout Catholic, but at night he would spend hours in his study meditating in front of a bowl filled with water and herbs. It was during these meditations that he would get his visions. So the first prophecy to bring him to fame was the following. The young lion will overcome the older one in a field of combat and a single fight. He will pierce his eyes in their golden cage, two wounds in one, then he dies a cruel death. Four years later, in July of 1559, King Henry II of France, who sometimes used a lion as his emblem, engaged in a jousting contest. The lance of his young opponent pierced the king's golden helmet and wounded him. Henry died after a period of prolonged agony. Nostradamus was able to predict the Great Fire of London in 1666, the French Revolution, the deaths of Queen Marie Antoinette, and Madame du Barry, a mistress of Louis XVI, the fate of Napoleon, and the abdiction of abdication, sorry, I suck, of King Edward VIII of Great Britain in 1936. In two quatrains, um, Nostradamus came close to naming Adolf Hister, uh, Hister Hitler. Oh my God, Adolf Hitler, and described his calamitous activities with some accuracy. So I can't pronounce other words, but I can get calamitous, you know. Sounds about right. 
Liberty shall not be recovered. A black, fierce, villainous, evil man shall occupy it when he ties of his alliance are wrought. Venice shall be vexed by him. Hister. Beast wild with hunger will cross the rivers. The greater part of the battlefield will be against Hister. He will drag the leader in a cage of iron when the child of Germany observes no law. Liberty was indeed seized or occupied by an evil man. Venice, along with the rest of Italy, was eventually vexed for by a former ally. Hitler's troops did indeed cross rivers and other boundaries like beasts, even though the majority of countries were against them. Remember, this was written a good 400 years ago before any of these events took place. So Nostradamus basically knew his stuff, and I know it doesn't sound like something he could just make up. I mean, obviously there was some truth to it. Well, clearly. So I want to talk about the Seaforth's doom. Um, And this story gets kind of long and convoluted, but basically it comes down to there was a guy named Mackenzie, um, and he was a Scottish seer in the 17th century and was known far and wide for his accurate predictions. Uh, He predicted the Battle of Culloden and the cutting of the Caledonian Canal, Uh, but he's most famous for the doom of the Seaforths. So Kenneth, uh, the third Earl of whatever, went to Paris from Scotland on a business trip. I say business trip in air quotes because, you know, uh, he left his wife and children on their own at Brahan Castle. He was gone so long that the lady of the castle was feeling forgotten and began to wonder if perhaps her husband had perished or had found better company. Uh, And evidently the old lady was crazy. So, you know, she had right to figure out if he had better company. So she summons this guy, Mackenzie, to her castle and um, starts to ask her about the fate of her husband. Now, she does this in front of a ton of people. Like, she's had this, having like a party and she's brought this guy in. And he has these things, these little seeing stones that he puts to his eye and allegedly can see uh, what's going on. So so she gives the guy to his castle. She asks him about her husband. And he raises his seeing stones to his eyes and proceeded to tell her that her husband was indeed alive um, and had no plans on returning to Brahan Castle anytime soon. The countess, who, like I said before, was crazy. She was a violent, ugly, wretched woman. Uh, pressed him for more details on the Earl's whereabouts. The seer replied, Your lord is in a magnificent room in very fine company and far too agreeably employed at present to think about leaving Paris. So the countess still feels like he's holding something back from her. So she kind of presses him about it. She bribes him. She threatens him um, until finally, you know, the guy's like, you know, okay, fine. I wasn't going to do this, but um, he's... Anyone, so the seer gives the account of her husband's dealings, finally. And he says, as you will know that this will make you unhappy, so, you know, it's one of those, be careful what you wish for, I must tell you the truth. My lord seems to have thought little of you, or of his children, or of his highland home. I saw him in a gay, gilded room, grandly decked out in velvets with silks and cloth of gold, and on his knee before a fair lady his arm around her waist and her hand her hand pressed to his lips so the countess loses her mess 
um, and all the anger that she felt about her absent husband fell to the messenger. Uh, he was led out of the room because clearly, immediately, he needed executed. But before he left, he raises the rock to his eye one last time and gives her this grim tale. I see into the far future, and I read the doom of the race of my oppressor. The long-descended line of Seaforth will, ere many generations have passed, end in extinction and in sorrow. I see a chief, the last of his house, both deaf and dumb, He'll be the father of four fair sons, all of whom he will follow to the tomb. He will live careworn and die mourning, knowing that the honors of his line are, to ex are extinguished forever. And that no future chief of the Mackenzies, which evidently was their last name too, shall bear rule at Brahan or in Kintail. After laminating over the last and most promising of his sons, he himself shall sink into the grave, and the remnant of his possessions shall be inherited by a white-coiffed or white-hooded lassie from the east. Uh, and she's going to kill her sister. And as a sign by which it may be known that these things are coming to pass, there shall be four great lairds in the days of the last deaf and dumb Seaforth, Gerlock, Chisholm, Grant, and Rossi, of whom one shall be bucktooth, another hair-lipped, another half-witted, and a fourth, a stammerer. Chiefs distinguished by these personal marks shall be the allies and neighbors of the last Seaforth. And when he looks around him and sees them, he may know that his sons are doomed to death, that his broad land shall pass away to a stranger, and that his race shall come to an end. With that, he tossed the stone into the small lock, and they executed him. So that's nice. Yeah, well, clearly she was a rational human being. So for the next 135 years, the fortunes of the Seaforths came and went. Uh, they supported two kings that lost wars and were stripped of their lands and titles. Eventually, they regained royal favor and their assets and titles were restored. Uh, clearly, by this time, 135 years, the predictions of the seer were no more than folklore as life for the Seaforth family moved forward. However, eventually there was a new Lord Seaforth that was living in Brahan Castle. He had four sons and six daughters. He was very busy, and due to scarlet fever, he was struck deaf and dumb. But eventually, he actually regained his speech. The strange thing is that their neighbors had four sons. Uh, one was a hare-lip, one was buck-toothed, one was a half-wit, and one was an incurable stammerer. As for the Seaforths, all four of the sons preceded their father in death. The father died in 1815, which meant that the estate went to the eldest daughter, Mary Elizabeth Frederica. She'd married a naval commander, and they had ended up in the East Indies. While there, the commander died, and Mary came home to Scotland wearing the traditional widow's white cap. As the prophecy had predicted, the lands had been passed to the, ha to the hands of the white cloth lassie from the East. By now, the land had been diminished by mismanagement, extravagance, and government fines, and even when Mary got home, she had to sell some of the lands herself. So a few years later, Mary's out, and she's taking her younger sister Caroline for a drive through the country. Uh, without warning, the ponies bolted. The carriage overturned, killing Caroline. This fulfilled the prophecy uh, that the lassie from the east would kill her sister. The Seaforth line died as the daughters had no children, and the lands were divided and sold at auction. So... Those are two stories that we looked. Um, we'll probably do some ones later, 
on some more recent people that have been able to kind of predict the future and whatnot. But um, that's that's all I got today. Rachel, you got anything? Yeah, actually, um, we'll go ahead and do our ghastly ghost section of this episode. So um, I've been meaning to read this story here for a little while. Um, it's actually was submitted to us by one of our listeners. His name is Russell, and he is from Brooklyn, New York. Um, hi, Russell. Thank you for submitting your story. Um, this one's kind of creepy. So he says that the story starts off in elementary school and goes on through high school. So it reads like this. I was in elementary school. Roughly fifth grade is the best as I can remember. I used to share a room with my parents up until middle school. And on this particular night, it was the middle of the winter and all the windows in the apartment were shut. Normally, everything is and still to this point had been pretty normal in my apartment. But on this particular night, I experienced the event that pushed me from skeptic to believer. I woke up in the middle of the night from a dream and I immediately tried going back to sleep. Nothing seemed off in the slightest. As I began to drift off back to sleep, I felt something touch my arm. But it wasn't just a simple touch, it was more of a grab. Immediately I panicked a bit, but tried to brush it off and go back to sleep. I mean, what explanation could I possibly give that, you know? Then I began to drift back to sleep, and it happened again, but this time on my leg. A tense grab, a kind of grab where you know it is not friendly. Well, after that, I basically sprinted out of the bedroom, ran into my living room, and sat with the TV and lights on all night. No wind or breeze or anything could have made me feel that accidentally. It was the first time I had ever realized that maybe those that believe could truly be onto something. But this story isn't over. After that incident... Nothing happened for years. I thought whatever it was that night decided to disturb me um, just once and had moved on or realized I was no threat to it. Then, in high school, my next incident happened. I was sleeping in my new room, which basically connects to the main hall and kitchen. One night, as I woke up from sleep, I noticed a shadowy figure standing in my kitchen. I rubbed my eyes to make sure I wasn't seeing things, and lo and behold, it took a step towards me and my bed. I never turned a light on so quickly in my life. Was that the thing that touched my arm or leg so many years ago? I don't know. To be continued. So later on, Russell submitted um, another story to us and says, so he just wants to say he's loving our podcast so far and that Brandy and I are awesome. Aw, thanks, Russell. On a slightly scarier note, though, something happened that he thinks relate to a shadow person that he had seen in his apartment so many times. So here it goes. He said his girlfriend was sleeping over. They were lying in bed and trying to fall asleep after a night of New Year's partying. His girlfriend asked if he had heard something, and he said, no, what did you hear? She said whispering, as if coming from the area of my kitchen, and immediately I freaked out because I remembered the shadow person always appeared near there. It never used to come out when others were, were there besides myself and my parents, but it worries me if it's starting to make itself known with others here now. So it sounds like this thing just keeps messing with Russell. So I wonder if Russell, if anything else happens, definitely let us know. But it sounds like you've got some kind of saging that you should be doing. <laughs> yeah. So Sage it. Sage it. So anyway, that's our show, guys. Um, I believe this is episode uh, 14. And um, just wanted to remind you to um, follow us on Twitter. And Instagram, and you guys can look up our Facebook group, Haunted Visions Podcast, and join some spooky discussions 
and other funny things that we post there. Um, you can also send us your spooky stories for our ghastly ghost corner to hauntedvisionspodcast at gmail.com. And Brandy, where can they find us on Patreon? You can find us on Patreon at haunted Patreon slash Haunted Visions. Yeah. Sounds so, right. Yeah. So, and also we would love to have you guys come join us. We're going to be um, in New Orleans, August 10th through the 12th at Potter and Love. Oh and Brandy, um, I think we're going to try to go on a cemetery tour or two when we're down there. So that'd be fun if um, any of you listeners would like to come and join us. Send us an email. Let us know if you're going to be there. Um, you can visit Potter and Love's website if you would like to buy tickets for the convention. We'd love to see you. Yep, that's all for today, guys. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Sleep tight. Don't let the ghosties bite. <laughs>